It's snacking and get cracking with a snack that packs a protein punch. Pistachios are known for their protein power, fiber, and better for you unsaturated fats for a combination that may help you keep feeling fuller longer. Wonderful Pistachios is a good source of protein with zero gill. Each one ounce serving has six grams of protein, giving you over 10% of your daily value. I love that they come in a variety of sizes and flavors, making this the perfect protein snack for any on-the-go adventure. Check out wonderfulpistachios.com to learn more about how these little green wonders can power up your day. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Good morning. Welcome back to the Flow Track Podcast. My name is Lincoln Shrike. He is Gordon Mack. It is Wednesday, June 10th. It's a beautiful day in Taylor, Texas, where I'm at. Gordon, where are you located currently? I'm back in my spot in the McDonald's park, same parking spot by the same McDonald's that I was here three weeks ago. Now this week I'm doing all the pods from live from the great McDonald's franchise, and uh, still have yet to go inside the McDonald's. I mentioned this to Kevin today. Uh, I don't know when's the last time I even had McDonald's. I can't imagine when last time you had McDonald's being a vegan. So when's the last time you no. had McDonald's? No, believe it or not. So uh, let's see. It would have been just about 10 maybe days ago. We were driving out to a state park here in Texas, Colorado Bend, and realized we were kind of hungry and options were limited. So me and my son pulled into the McDonald's and got fries and I got a coffee and he got a lemonade slushy. I didn't know they had those, but it was an impulse buy. So oh, I did okay. eat the French fries, probably violated my veganness just a little bit because I'm sure the fries were cooked with some animal products, but you know, it was all good times. No meat was consumed in the making of that meal, but I, I will occasionally dabble in a McDonald's trip, so I'm not above it. Okay. I respect that. Yeah. Yeah. I did not yeah. I, I thought you were gonna be like I haven't had McDonald's in like twelve no. years, but no, no. you were like 10 I mean, days I, ago. It first of all, their coffee costs like seventy-five cents. So like that's a nice thing compared to Starbucks, which is you know, even a cup of coffee is like two above two dollars now. So that's always a pull. And then you know, I mean, who doesn't like their French fries? They're pretty good. We, uh, yesterday, uh, my girlfriend Jojo was doing a track workout and we found this track. It was a 600 meter track that was squiggly. Uh, we never, it was kind of, it was weird. Uh, it was a very unique track. If you guys have Google maps, you should try to zoom in on finding the spot in Galveston. Uh, but yeah, it's always interesting finding a track. That's not a normal 400 meter track. It was a squiggly track. It was like three lanes and they called it track and field like it wasn't like this is like a path like it had a sign saying 
school's track and field facility or whatever. It was really weird, but a 600 meter track. Do you think we should? It was was made of of a typical track surface? Yeah. Oh, wow. It was weird. But it was like a squiggly. Like it wasn't like a perfect circle. Like it kind of moved in and out. And it made me think like, wouldn't it be kind of cool if we, if like, tracks had like home track advantage the same way like baseball fields have unique outfield Mm. dimensions you know Mm -hmm. we should have like weird ways of designing the track it's like oh you go to eugene they got this weird turn or you go to new york or pennsylvania or philadelphia and you have this weird sharp left angle well this one you don't turn left you turn right you know something like that i would be very for that and like one of them that was trying to be really intense, like the steeple pit could be an alligator pit. And so like one or two people every year would just die by alligator. And when they got, when they were getting eaten, we'd zoom in on the alligator. Oh, the alligators got them. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I would be, you're taking that. a little I'm, more comical. Oh, okay. I think it's too legit. Extreme. I think like, too extreme. no, legitimately you could have unique style tracks. Right, because you have some tracks that are banked, some that aren't indoor. Why not have some that have like longer turns? I mean, Penn. I guess technically, Penn realizes track is different from a normal track. Yeah, and that's not enough, though. Right? Not enough. Yeah, it's not true. significant enough. We're we're so obsessed with fast times, though, that I I don't think anyone would ever buy into that. But I actually very much am support of that. You see online, people like the they they built these tracks. I don't know where they are in the world, but like, you know, they'll have like hills and stuff. I think it's very expensive to do that, but I would very much be in support of that. Makes things a lot more interesting. There's a track in Austin, Texas that's like almost a full circle. Like it's like the straightaways are like super short. The straightaways are only mm. like 25 meters long and it looks like it's just a giant circle. It's it's near near our office. It's uh, down by the, the lake. Just kind of interesting. Yeah. I mean, I saw some, there's a track in New York that ha- is like a, it's like a triangle. It's weird. <laughs> I don't know. Some long straightaways, not very long turns. <laughs> no. I don't know. I feel like right. it'd be cool if there's unique types of tracks. Hey, yeah. man, it's June 10th in the middle of a pandemic. We're going to have to talk about track designs at one mm-hmm. point. So I, and, and I, here we are. I, I was, you're teaching me stuff. I did not know that there was a triangle or even a perfect circle in Austin. I have to wonder if the circle thing was just somebody thinking they knew how a track was supposed to be designed. It's like, oh, it's a circle, right? And so they just did it and they had no idea that it was needed to be more of a, uh, well, what's the word I'm looking for here? Uh, oval. There you go. Yeah. Um, and it still has a straightaway too. The straightaway is just a it's basically a circle and then they made extra track that's like a long straightaway. So it's like a one line and then a circle. Like kind of like looks like the omega symbol. It's kind of weird. Anyway. No. Hmm. I'm for it. I'm excited. We check it out. Check we should out go we should go there track. and film it. It's by, yeah. by our, our office. What do they have like octagons or uh like a pentagon? I'd be for it. That'd be that'd be neat. Just all straightaways and little teeny turns. That could be fun. That would be fun. All right. Today's show, we are talking the news that came across last night. Brown University, somewhat surprisingly, has reinstated their men's track and field and cross-country program. University president Christina Paxson came out and said that the pushback uh, against 
the initial cut, the cut which took place on May 28th, the pushback prompted her to reverse the decision. We knew that a big part of the pushback from the Brown community and those outside of it, and I think specifically of Russell Dinkins, who ran at Princeton, but who wrote a very impactful article talking about how removing the Brown track and field and cross-country programs was going to seriously cut down on diversity of the athletics program. He cited that there were 11 African-American members on the track team who would be eliminated. And after Brown had been, you know, had came out like most universities and most, and, you know, corporations and people in the last couple of weeks talking about how Black Lives Matter and all that, that they were kind of being hypocritical by taking away their track and field team. So it worked. The fact that they pointed out this hypocrisy and I think of Dinkins and the people at Save Brown Track, they pointed it out and said, you know, this is not an expensive sport to be on, to, to put on. And you're, you need to put your money where your mouth is when you say you support diversity and better. And look at it. We got track and field and cross country back at Brown. What was your reaction? Uh, I was, I was surprised that that quickly they changed their minds. It was it kind of, when you're willing to change your mind that quickly, then why did you make that decision in the first place is what yeah. I think about, right? Like, if it was yeah. that important, did, a like, a, like not a few, but, like, did people, you knew people were going to be upset when you made the decision in the first place. You react that people were upset. That's why you went back. It's like, well, you knew people weren't going to be happy that you're cutting a, an event that people like. Uh, but then you so quickly, it almost means, like, it you kind of, I don't know, it's weird. It's, like, weird how, like, they are bringing back track. I mean, how many other sports did they, they move to club? It was, like, eight or something They like moved that. a bunch, right? Well, before, initially, they moved 11. The counting track and field and cross country is three between indoor, outdoor, and cross country. Um, okay. And they gained, they gained two. So it was a net loss of nine. Now it's a net loss of six because they brought back the three seasons of running and track and field. Yeah. I mean, are, I mean, I don't, I don't know, but like, are any of the, what are the other sports that are getting cut? Like, cause I saw like in the, the post, they're like, well, what about our sport equestrian or whatever? I don't know. Like. Yeah, this, that, I'm not sure what sports they are. They're probably like squash, a question. Track is then actually got cut. Um, it's just weird how they like we're seeing all these cuts happening, like Akron, you know, Central Michigan, Brown uh, originally. Uh, you know, I think you potentially about to bring the hammer down and make a drastic cut uh, happening all over um, and that all it took was an outcry that was enough for Brown to change her mind. I yeah. think Brown maybe they weren't doing it for budget reasons because they have an endowment, I guess. I don't know. Like I feel Akron's budget, they need to be more tighter than Brown does. I'm just assuming that because I feel like I assume Brown's a wealthier school, yeah. but I don't know. I don't know the actual numbers. Sometimes your wealth isn't actually accessible. Like a lot of endowments can't be spent on certain things. I don't know. I was just surprised yeah, yeah. that it was that quick and it worked. Normally it doesn't work, right? We talk about sure. this happens all the time, but like 
the the way it normally works is uh sports come back because alumni and donors raise yeah. funds to support that specific sport yeah and it's like hey we raise a million dollars to keep the sport around for a few more years they're like okay well we'll bring it back because you gave us money yeah. but the, here they didn't give any money they just laid out hey you're kind of being hypocritical during this move the social movement to also speak on twitter and say the great say the right words but then behind the scenes to make these types of actions so yeah it's I, interesting i i think there will be some differences in the way the program is run whether they support you know as as many coaches or if there will be budget cuts to the sp specific operations of the team that may be a little bit different that's not yet determined but um, I think it was less a budgetary thing because you're right, the endowment that they have. And, you know, I don't think an Ivy League school is ever really hurting for money. Of course, there's always budgets to be adhered to. But uh, but again, this was a, 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 you know, an effort to make the school overall more competitive. As they cited that something like in the last 10 years, uh, Brown has won 2% of all Ivy League championships. Um, but they also were running up against title nine things here so that was a something to be considered the alignment of men's and women's sports relative to the title nine regulations um but they were able to stay you know within those guidelines or stay within the parameters of title nine while bringing it back and so i mean i i, I do understand trying to make your other teams maybe teams that are more prominent more competitive through this i just think that they didn't know what they were doing when they were cutting track and field as a as an uh as a diverse sport which is brings more value to the school than just winning ivy league titles and first off i mean they've had some success at brown you know the photo i used for the article is of craig kinsey he was an olympian and ncaa champion just 10 years ago. I mean, they, they, they've had some success and maybe it hasn't gone as well the last couple of years, but I think hopefully they considered those things as well and uh, realized that they had kind of made a, a, a rash decision here because I mean, what in the end, like removing track and field and, and, and cross country, like, is that really going to just suddenly elevate your basketball team? The thousand dollars that you save per, you know, like, per student athlete that they with, with, the, with all the money an Ivy League school has, is that really going to elevate your basketball team? Yeah, I don't know if this will have any impact on if the, uh, you know, m the women's skiing team will be able to band together on social media, men's and women's squash, women's equestrian, all those horse people out there. You're wanting to see Brown back <laughs> jumping over stuff with uh, thoroughbreds. I don't know if they're going to be able to rally together like track and field does and i think that highlights track and field's ability to build a community really quickly to have a common voice that highlights the diversity of the sport ever so many people from so many different backgrounds have had track impact their lives whereas maybe not the same for equestrian so tracks you know unique position as an all backgrounds sport really helped it in in this situation and 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 good on Again, you can't give enough credit to guys like Russell Dinkins and the Save Brown Track people. Uh, 
that's cool. I mean, it's it's less about, you know, Brown is back and now they're going to immediately be competing for national titles in cross country. We know that's not going to be true, but more about giving those individual athletes right now and then in the future uh, an opportunity to get their way, get onto an Ivy League school through their athletics and track and field. And uh, that obviously has huge benefits for future careers and um, the program. So that's it's great news. My only thing that you know I took away because I read the statement, uh, they were very blunt that the reason I think that Brown was really cut, like you said, was Title Nine, and Title Nine was created for a great reason and a necessary reason. But when they created that rule, they or the uh, the segment of that rule because it's more than just sports title lines more than just sports right but mm-hmm. it the 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 unknown con the consequences that it recreated the, the what they wanted as a result isn't actually giving that is there's things that are there's i'm not sure what the word, i'm really bad at podcasting there's words that i'm trying to say that i don't know how to the unintended yeah, consequences okay. that's the word unintended yeah. consequences of that ruling to niche male sports uh is has been drastic because they're they're like hey we they're instead of instead of finding uh so track is considered three sports so it's considered say there's 15 on a just for simplicity stakes there's 15 on a cross country 15 on indoor 15 on outdoor so that's 45 male athletes counting bodies right mm-hmm universities around the nation aren't looking to find 45 female athletes to match the 45 male track athletes because they don't want to do that and it's harder to do that that they're just like it's harder to find to and it's also more expensive to do that to support 45 more female athletes to match the 45 male track athletes so instead they just get rid of the 45 male track athletes and so that solves the problem. So now they don't need to support 45 more female athletes across multiple sports. And it is, we're not, the, the, the Title IX, the whole idea was like, hey, you have 45 male track athletes, you need to now bring in 45 female athletes. That's yeah. what it says, but that's not what they're doing. They're not bringing 45 female athletes. They're just removing the male athletes. And the reason that they have well, to do it is because all the sports are, not equal because football is like 90 athletes. So it takes yeah. up multiple sports. So therefore you, we like, I just, I think what they need to do is I think it should be more about it. Maybe I think football should be like considered separate, <laughs> right? Cause if football, maybe well, it's, it's considered not separate. Though, because it's not a you, women. There's not a women's comp to football. Right, there's no woman's, but it is women's sport that requires 90 people, as you said. So that you do understand why Title IX is a thing to give women equal access. And you're but right when they have football. There's always going to be more in this era. There's always going to be more women's sports and more women's athletes, and that's because of Title IX. But I think it's net been a good thing. And if you know, if the loss of one or two programs is the the side effect, then I still think it's a it's a it's a positive 
situation. As you pointed out in your kind of your NCAA piece highlighting the percentages of teams that support varsity track and field, it's obviously highest on the women's side, but it's still very, very high relative to other sports on the men's side. So it's not like Title IX has been an absolute disaster for men's track and field and cross country. Sure, there's been some programs that have cut it, seen that it's a non-revenue sport and uh, left their women's team. But like, like it's still above the 80%. Most schools have men's track and field. So it's not a, a huge, huge concern nationwide. Well, yeah, okay. I, I'm more saying that when I say I want football to be separate, it should be separate. You know why it should be separate? Because football is the one that supports all the other sports. Like mm -hmm. that is the bank. Football is the bank. And then the rest of the sports are spending the football's um, bank money, right? And so for, I think it should be football makes the sports and then we need to have equal the equal amount of non-football male athletes. And I don't, I mean, that's what I think we should do because I think it's, it's uh, ec economically makes sense because these sports uh, departments need to be financially stable. And the way the system is designed is that they, in order to be financially stable, they just need to like the, the utopia sports, if every athletic director could have their way, this would be the the way they would have sports. They would have they would have men's basketball, men's football. So say that's 90 football athletes, 15 basketball athletes. Let's just round it to 100 male athletes, one in, in basketball and football total. And then they would just only have 100 female athletes in the rest of the sport. There will be no other niche male sports because in their mind, the most efficient way to make money is only have athletes that can generate revenue, which is football and basketball players, and then match that with the female athletes. So it's equal 100-100. And there's no incentive to have a male soccer player or a male wrestler or a male track athlete. There's just no, yeah. there's no incentive for that because they don't make any money. They just, they just, it's cost money. I mean, the only incentive is legacy and it and pride yeah. and like history, but well, it's also what the NCAA wants. Obviously, the NCAA supports doesn't want to just be an entity, an organization where they're like, "All right, we've you've known for years that all we care about is basketball and football. Now, literally, we're just cutting every men's sport besides basketball and football, and then women can figure out how they want to fill out their Ross their sports." Other, I mean, that that's absurd. They, I do think there's some. I know we hesitate to say that there's goodwill with the NCAA, but I think they want to include as many athletes as possible. You know, NCAA for as tough as it is to be an NCAA athlete, it's there, it's pretty accessible because you can find your way across three divisions. You can be, you know, in, in most cases across, you know, 15 sports per gender. They, they do want that. I know that they have to make money with football and basketball, but those sports are, on their own and in a separate category without there having to be this official thing where it doesn't count against the school's number. It, it, that doesn't work like that. They can't, you can't just put them in another category. Um, it, it was just simply, it's not fair just because it brings in, you know, more money that, 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 that's ridiculous. That'd be like me saying, 
well, I bring in money for my family, but my son is a net negative because he loses money because all he does is eat my food and, and gets me to buy toys. I should cut him from my household. It's not all about making money and nothing else, of course. I mean, it's just, it, of course, that's what it comes down to a lot of times, but there's more at stake than than just cash coming in, I, I, I think. It, it not just be, to make people happy and not just because everyone deserves a participation trophy. It's more about the development as a human being you get when you go through athletics programs and how it, you know, if you if you got to Brown via an athletic scholarship in squash and then you end up becoming a high-powered lawyer and you're giving money to Brown, you know, every year, it's an investment for the school to support these athletes for, for their endowment. Of course, it's not always going to work like that. Most people don't give money, but it just makes sense to support as many sports as you, as you can. And, and it, it doesn't require us bowing to the knees of, of football and, and cutting everything else. And, and, you know, it just, that doesn't work like that. It's, 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 it's a, it's an investment for schools to have to support athletes and non-revenue sports. I get it. I, I understand that, but I just think when, these athletic directors look at their expenses and revenue and they keep on seeing, I mean, constantly ha have their expenses being more than their revenue. And they also are all stupidly constantly raising their expenses to try to compete with the, the yeah. school next door by building new facilities and doing this and this and giving raises to coaches and all this stuff. Uh, they're just creating a business model that is bound to break. And I mean, I just think that they are some of these schools that don't, don't, that don't have the, they don't have the luxury of like being a Stanford or whatever are going to start. To, I, I just, I get, I get what you're saying is like, you know, the analogy you gave, like just because football is the only one that makes the money doesn't mean, you know, they, we, uh, we kill, we not kill, we, we evict everyone else that doesn't bring yeah. in money and they do bring in money by, you know, being non-scholarship athletes and coming in and enrolling. And maybe then they eventually have their son or daughter come in and enroll. And they also go on and have successful careers and then they give back or they have a good, like, Hey, this become president. And then that president is like, I went to the University of Florida, and then all the people are like, oh, our president went to the University of Florida. Let's go. I get it. Um, but I don't know, man. I think that a lot of times the idea of investment and the is hard to hold on to when you're just trying to make the next school year's budget work out. Yeah. And I think a lot of these people are just trying to figure it out in the short term and not thinking about the long term long term greater good for the university yeah all right so we'll move on to talk about some track and field which is happening not just an ultimate garden clash but real kind of track and field with a few caveats the impossible games are tomorrow thursday in oslo norway with also some remote athletes competing in the meet Mondo will be there. Carson Warholm will be there. The Ingebrigtsens, of course, will be there in their native Norway. I guess Carson Warholm also uh, a native Norwegian. 
Then we'll also have the Kenyans, Team Chariot, competing against the Ingebrigtsens in a 2,000-meter race from their base in Nairobi, Kenya. Gordon, this meet looks like nothing really we've ever seen in track and field. Of course, that's prompted by the pandemic and everybody trying to still social distance. What are you excited to watch tomorrow at this event? I mean, I'm, I think like a lot of people, most excited about seeing the Team Kenya go up against Team Norway in the, what are they doing? It's a three by. It's a, so five people are racing per team. And then the, it's like a cross, it's like a mini cross country thing. And then the, your top three finishers, it's, it's not points, it's combined, combined time. time. So if somebody, br so uh, yeah, your top three finishers combined, uh, you, you get the, you get the victory. Of course, the Kenyan team is going to, they're used to altitude, but seemingly they have a disadvantage competing at 6,000 feet relative to the Norwegian team, which is at sea level. But there's some good yeah, athletes here. It is good, and it'll be interesting to watch. And the whole, though, altitude caveat, I feel like kind of ruins it a little bit because if Kenya loses, you could always say, oh, they lost because of altitude. And then if Kenya wins, then you'll be like, oh, Norway wasn't trying. <laughs> That's what I would well, think, I right? I think they're uh, definitely some... going to try. It's going to be incredible yeah. if Kenya wins. I mean, I, like I said, they're used to this altitude. And freaking uh, Chariot has run some ridiculous, ridiculous times at altitude. I think he's run like 332 or 333 at like 6,000 feet. I know he's run a 143, 800. And 800, you could say, oh, it's pretty much a wash. But still, you get a little bit of help with that. Could convert to a 142. I mean... These guys are used to it, so I think that's probably what went into it. Also, they can't, you know, travel right now given to the pandemic. But I, I think this is going to be closer. I'm leaning on the sides of the Ingebrigtsens. One, because Jakob is so good, he's he's not quite on Chariot's level, but he's pretty close. And then, uh, you know, Henrik was really close to his brother in that 5K they did last month. And then Phillips, a freaking world medalist, so that's a great team right there. Kenya's going to just have some work to do. You know, they're going to have to have Chariot probably win the thing and run quite a bit faster than everyone else and hope that Managoy, the 2017 world champion in the 1500, is back to full health. Uh, and then they'll, they'll have to get help from some. They don't really have any other superstars on their team. So they're really going to need Chariot and Managoy to step up, particularly, like we said, against the altitude. But I, this is going to be fa fascinating. I'm hoping there's no technical difficulties because if there's technical difficulties, it almost is like it. It, it ruins the whole thing. I mean, obviously any technical difficulty, but it's like, we won't know exactly when the time, if the times are on this on, on the same time, I mean, they're, they're doing simultaneous streams. I'm just fascinated to see how they pull this off logistically, let alone just the outcome of the race. And the result being uh, based off of, like you said, total time of the top three from each team. It makes me think, do you think if this goes well and you like the, how it decided who the winner is, like, what if, though, like, if you were to rank the scores, the, the, the times, and really if you score it, like, cross-country style, a different team wins, right? So if, you know, say you had the top two times, but then your third time was garbage, but you go, like, mm -hmm. one, two, and they, they go three, four, five, and then you go six, you know, yeah, basically, yeah. do you still win? If you go one, two, six? No, no, no. You In your scenario, no, it has to be off time. And I think that's yeah. the, the thing. They, they don't want to, I mean, because you would see there that you could have two guys do really well. And then maybe one guy just straight up get last. And, you know, you could 
still win. So that's why they didn't want to yeah. score it like that. Like you could literally have two guys go super fast and then one guy get like sixth, seventh, or eighth, and you'd still be fine to win. So that that's why they wanted to do it on on combined times for sure to make sure everybody was given their best effort. Yeah, I'm I'm interested. Uh, I'm I'll be excited to watch it. It'll be interesting how they film it. Uh, yeah, and making sure like because you got to coordinate like you know there might be a delay, right? Because you're trying to bring in like to start the gun the exact time in both countries. But I mean, I guess they could just look at their clock. But maybe there might be like a delay from the satellite feed of Kenya or from Norway. And all you know, they got to match it up. Because what if it's like a five second delay? It'll be weird. Anyway, I don't know. It'll be fun to watch, though. I'll be watching. I, uh, I'm i not envious of the producers who are trying to figure this out across continents right now and getting you know the screens aligned and uh, making sure the, the – I don't know. There's a, there are going to be a ton of complications to make sure this is – this is working. I figure. I think. I'm sure they have it figured out. I mean, world. I don't know where exactly this is streaming. I mean, usually we're used to seeing NBC Gold put these types of events on. I don't know if that's the case. I'll have to check in after, after we're done recording to see where this is going to going to go live. But man, they got a lot on their hands. Uh, also going on in the Impossible Games, Mondo Duplantis against La Villani, Part Two after their Ultimate Garden Clash. La Villani will be still in France, while Mondo will actually be in Oslo, Norway. So he's traveling across the pond to get up and, and go jump. Does Mondo break the 614 world record? No. You don't think? After jumping 617 and 618 indoors, you don't think he can go to 614 this, the, on Thursday? I think Mondo has been being a... Was he 20 now? Is he 21 yet? How old is he? No, he's, I think he's 20. He's 20? I think he's been acting like a 20-year-old, realizing, hey, I don't got to do shit. I could just hang out and wait till 2021. So I don't think he is training as okay. rigorously. I don't think he's training as rigorous, rigorously. And I think he's kind of just taking it easy. I think he's going to go there. He'll probably vault like 590, 595. That's what I think is going to happen. I don't think that's he's in pretty, his peak shape. I think to break a world record, you have to be like to break a world record, you have to be in the zone. You gotta be focused. You have to be putting like Yeah, maybe he like, is. You know, but you think someone's in the zone and focused right now when they know they don't have to worry about anything for a whole year? No, they're not. They're out there just kind of like staying in shape yeah. and like taking it easy. And I think for someone like a for like a pole vaulter, you kinda Yeah, I just think no, I don't. I don't think it's set up for. I mean, we just we're seeing how great Mondo is, and we're just assuming whenever he shows, oh, like, oh yeah, he'll just go a world record. He'll just vault over six meters. Like it's like easy. And like still vaulting over six meters is like a very hard thing to do. That doesn't happen that often. And so I think for Mondo, I think for him to be in world record shape, he needs to be in a, an environment that is conducive to breaking world records, which is like intense competition you know building up to a big moment i don't think he's looking at the impossible games as like his big moment to break a world counterpoint counterpoint here i'll be happy for not going to be growing on trees and incredible marks yeah what's counterpoint my counterpoint 
Yeah, my counterpoint to that is he's already jumped six meters seven times in 2020. And he was breaking world records in February when he knew there wasn't going to be any world indoor championships. So theoretically, or you would suppose that he wasn't even in peak form then when he was jumping 617 and 618 and smashing the indoor world record. I, I, you know, he, we show, he showed he was fit, albeit a different type of competition in that ultimate garden clash by tying La Villani. Uh, he's the best jumper in the world. And I think, you know, like I said, clearing seven meters, six meters on seven occasions already, he's going to be above six meters in this competition. And it's just whether or not he's feeling it on the particular day. It, it, I think he's got a great shot at going over the world record uh, just based off what he did indoors. He was at a completely new level. He's not letting himself go. It's not like he's been out like partying all the time. At least I don't uh, imagine he's going to want to show up. He's known he's going to do this. And so he's, Without much else going on in 2020, I know there's going to be a Diamond League slate, at least we hope, coming up later in the summer. But he's he's in shape. He's young. He's I, I, I actually think he's – I don't think he's going to do it, but I think he's going to take a few cracks at the world record, um, and he'll dominate this competition against Lavillani and the, the, the Norwegian pole vaulter. So I, I think it's a sneaky event, one we really got to pay attention to just because – Running events are back, and some of us are focused more on those. We we really need to uh, keep an eye, of course, on what Mondo's doing. Other things going on, Carson Warholm doing his best impression of a district high school track and field meet, running the 300-meter hurdles. <laughs> He's doing it by himself, going after the 34-48, I think, world record. Uh that he's not going to have any problem doing that. And why I say that is because he literally has run faster in the 300 meter hurdles indoors. I had no idea you could run a 300 meter hurdles indoors. It must not have been on a bank track because hurdling on a bank track's got to be a little tricky. Uh, but the best 400 meter hurdler in the world will get this niche record and he will uh, do it easily, even though he's running by himself. So I'm, I'm excited to see that, albeit I wish – we could have gotten Ry Benjamin maybe running in L.A. at the same time. That would have been cool. Since we're doing this simulcast with the Kenyans and the Norwegians, it would have been cool to have like Benjamin or maybe Samba also doing this. So a little bit left to be desired there. But all in all, I'm still excited for this meet. We also have Caroline Grovedal, Norwegian distance runner. Uh, she's going for the Norwegian, the Norway 3,000-meter record, which is 831.25, held by the famous Greta Waltz. Weights, I think, and uh, she's going to do it with the help of wave light technology. So the little light bulbs ahead of her are going to tell her what where where she needs to be to break the time, and she's doing that all by herself as well. So this is a weird track meet, but I'm all for it considering we haven't had much else to go on for a while. Is uh, having a the wave light tech wave light technology like a computer pace you? Is that legal? Uh, yeah, that's a good question. I know they've used it before, so it must be approved in some situations. I would it, it, see, see, that's the thing. I mean, part of it, that, that was part of the thing with Kipchoge's, uh, performance in his sub two and his, his first breaking two attempt was like, that makes it illegal on the road. So I don't know how if somehow that's approved on track and not on the roads. It must be fine. I mean, because it's they're you know, they're doing it to target a record. So I would assume, if a record is broken now, it's not going to happen, but if she were somehow to break the, the world record, I think there would be a little bit more controversy, but the Norwegian record, they're like, ah, who cares if it's like a little bit outside the rules, it's just a Norway record. No one really cares that much. So 
I, I'm not, I don't know definitively. It must be approved. They've done this elsewhere. I think of like in Britain, I think last year there were some wave light races or, or, or something. So it's been done. You don't see it ever in the United States, but it must be approved. I, I, I just haven't gone through the, the fine print to make sure it's 100% kosher, but uh, I think it is. Now, while I'm excited for the possible games, uh, because again, it's more, it's a little bit of more track in our lives. I'm still waiting for like an official, just good old regular track meet where they're, they're yeah. running regular events. They're running in all in the same track. They don't need to be fans. It just, you know, it's just, you know, I got, I went on a little mini rant about the. And talking about how Allison Felix running 150 meters is, is not something to get excited about. I don't know. For some reason, I'm just like, okay, she's going to. I don't know what we got. It. Yeah, but you know, would you get excited about watching Fred Curley run 150 meters? You'd be like. No, you wouldn't. Yes, absolutely. Fred Curley doing anything I'm excited about. That was a bad example on your part if you're looking for a negative reaction. But no, you look at the time of 150 meters and you're not going to even know what what it is. You're not going to know the difference if it's like a second fast or a second. You're just not going to know. You're going to be like, is Mm -hmm. that good? Any any event, it's like watching a track meet and not knowing what's good. It's like basically it turns all track fans into non-track fans because they don't know how to relate to the times. Like when yeah. we see a 43 second 400 or a six meter vault, we're like, wow, that's really good. Yeah. When a non-track fan sees a 43 second 400, they're like, okay, cool. Why didn't he run 42 seconds or 41 <laughs> seconds? That's what watching a 150 meter dash is like. That's what it'll be like watching a 300 meter hurdle. With Warholm, we're like, is that good? I don't know. Well, that, we, now we know the world what, record. That, I understand what you're saying. I, I, I guess I'm not. Down to 47, you know. Yeah, I, I think they are looking to break records in this time because it provides good PR, and that's why they're not seeing them run the 200 or the four. I am like you. I wish they were running more traditional distances just so we could have a barometer of like where these athletes are at compared to what it wouldn't, where they would normally be in a June before a chance, you know, in, in an Olympic year where they would, you know, yeah. would be in all likelihood very, very fit and getting fitter. But um, I don't know. I don't really, as long as they're not wearing like, you know, gorilla suits and, and running around and, and we're, you know, we're doing like bag races it still resembles track and field, and so I, uh, I'm for it. Okay. It's not the best thing. It's like a skills competition, basically. You know, yeah. do we really want to see That's Bradley Beal like you know passing the ball through a net on the you know waist high net? No, it's like no, that's not that great. That's not as fun as just watching a game. But when it's like, would you rather have this or nothing, or would you rather have this or like your choice is to watch old track and field clips? I'd rather have the new stuff at least. Good point. Good point. You're a good spokesman for the impossible games. There you go. Yeah, I'm getting paid. Uh, it's it's real nice. <laughs> uh, no, no, I'm not. But uh, yeah, that'll do it for us today. Uh, for myself, Lincoln Shrike, and Gordon Mack. Get ready to watch some impossible game action tomorrow. And we'll have a full recap on, well, I guess it'll have to be on Friday's show. So tomorrow we'll have to figure out another topic. Uh, But yeah, we will see you guys tomorrow.